We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. That's not a call, Jim. Make it. I say yes. All right. Let's see it. For the win. Zerline's kick. Is it long enough? It is into the net for the victory. And with that 56-yarder from Greg Zerline, the Cowboys, Eagles, and Washington football team are all one and one in the NFC East. Man, did Mike McCarthy nearly butcher the end of that game. We will get to that here shortly. What an NFL Sunday yesterday. The games early were terrible. There was one decent game early. That was the Rams-Colts game. Uh, Everything else was pretty much decided, didn't really come down to the final moments. Uh, The Rams-Colts game did. And then once you got into that 4 o'clock window, you got Cardinals-Vikings 34-33, Cowboys-Chargers 20-17, Titans-Seahawks. The Titans rally from 14 down to win it in overtime 33-30. And then last night's game between the Ravens and the Chiefs is one of the better regular season games. Try not to be overly... uh, Uh, exaggerating here, but one of the best regular season games in years was that Ravens-Chiefs game. Man, I don't know about you, but it's hard not to like Lamar Jackson. I'm talking about just from afar. I don't know anything about him. I know he's had COVID twice and still refuses to get the vaccine, but that's his choice. Um, I just, there's something about him that is so likable uh, in the way he handles these interviews, in the relationship he appears to have with his head coach, John Harbaugh, and with his teammates. What a football game that was last night. We'll get to a lot of what happened in the league yesterday. I have... Uh, A Washington Giants, upon further review, there were a few things. I went back and watched the game again. A few things that I wanted to um, not amend, but just update from my recap on Friday. If you missed the recap on Friday, Jay Gruden was a part of the show. He was excellent. Uh, You can find that wherever you get my podcast by just going back to Friday's show. Uh, and then Steve Suter will be on the show today. Steve calls the games with Johnny Holiday, the Maryland games. Maryland is 3-0. and They beat Illinois Friday night. Leah Tungavailoa, to his brother, led a game-tying drive, 86 yards in the final five minutes, and then 
a game-winning a field goal uh, drive at the very end. Maryland's 3-0. and They play Kent State this coming weekend, and they've got a monster game potentially a week from Friday night on October 1st against a top-five team in Iowa. It may be – it has a chance to be the biggest home Maryland football game probably since Ralph Regan uh, was the coach. So Steve Suter, who does a really good job uh, with Johnny, will come on. We'll have a conversation about the team. Uh, and uh, what he saw in Friday night's win over Illinois. Let me just uh, remind everybody, subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. It doesn't cost you a thing. It really helps us. And keep those ratings and reviews coming in. They are really helping us, Um, and so I appreciate it a lot. If you're listening on Apple in particular, rate us five stars if you haven't rated us. Write a quick one- to two-sentence review if you haven't done that. Um, It goes a long way uh, in allowing us to do this podcast. Um, Cooley, everybody's asking, uh, hopefully some point this week. Um, Tommy will be on with me uh, tomorrow. I want to start with Dallas's win over the Chargers. Uh, It's a big win for the Cowboys. You know, after they lost to the Buccaneers last week, I was impressed with their loss. I thought that the game plan was the right game plan. They didn't try to bang their head against the wall and run the football against a team that's very hard to run the football uh, against in the Buccaneers. Um, And you saw Dak Prescott look incredible. By the way, if you're wondering, I mean, Atlanta didn't try to run it either against Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's run defense is ridiculous. I think Atlanta had like 20 carries for 50 yards. Um, in their game against Tampa yesterday. And Dallas barely even tried um, in the opener uh, against um, Brady and the Buccaneers, throwing it, I think it was like 59 to 20 or something like that, whatever it was. It was, um, But they got back to being balanced. But after the Tampa Bay game, I said I was very impressed with the Cowboys. How couldn't you be? Now, they lost to Marcus Lawrence. That's a big loss for them. Uh, they had some other players down. They had a couple players back. Um, they're not a fully healthy team, but you know they've got weapons offensively. Let's not kid ourselves. They, they've got a really good quarterback. They've got very good receivers, and I believe they have two um, very good running backs. You know, I, I remember saying last year, and I forget it uh, who I was having this conversation with. It may have been Chris, and I said I think Tony Pollard's really good now. Is he Zach? You know, is he Zeke Elliott? No, I don't think he's Zeke Elliott. I think Zeke's you know upside is bigger. And by the way, I thought Zeke looked really good. Pollard yesterday, thirteen carries, one hundred and nine yards. They were thirty-one runs, twenty-seven passes. Dak was twenty-three of twenty-seven. He did have the first half interception, twenty-three of twenty-seven, two hundred and thirty-seven yards. Uh, got sacked twice, um, but ended up having um, a big day. Uh, and they were truly balanced. They rushed uh, for nearly 200 yards against that Charger uh, defense. And defensively, I thought Dallas's defense made some big plays. It was something I said coming out of the Tampa game. I, I, I really thought Dallas defensively had some talent, and they were poorly coached last year. Um, uh, and uh, they showed some of that uh, yesterday as well, even though they aren't um, completely healthy. Uh, they get the 20-17 to 17 win. Man, the Chargers had plenty of opportunities. 
Um, you know, in the uh, if you just go, first of all, they threw an interception on the second drive of the game in Dallas territory. Um, Justin Herbert threw an interception. They missed a short field goal um, at the end of the first half. Uh, in the second half, it, it was one of those games where both teams there wasn't you know there was a punt in the second half, but it was after like seven or eight plays in the game. Each of the two teams had three possessions in the second half. That was it. The Chargers uh, opened up that drive. They had a uh, they were deep in Dallas territory. Ended up kicking a field goal. Dallas got tough in the red zone. Um, Dallas had like an eight play drive, and then they punted. Um, in Charger territory after uh, after a couple of penalties and a sack. And then um, Justin Herbert took them all the way down the field. They were inside the Dallas 10, and he threw an interception. Uh, and that was um, a, a huge play there in the game with the score tied at 14. Cowboys came down, took the lead on a long drive, 17-14. Chargers answered. Um, but not, uh, you know, in the way they wanted to. They were forced to kick another field goal after there was an illegal shift on a touchdown pass by Justin Herbert. Um, and the Cowboys ended up taking over with about four minutes to go in a tie game at 17-17 and kicking a walk-off field goal to win it. With that said, my God, did you see the end of that game? They ran Tony Pollard um, with one timeout left in the game. They ran Tony Pollard on – the ball was like at the Charger 41-yard line. There's like 33 seconds left. It's a second down and six. You know, I don't know about you, but when you're at the other team's 41-yard line and you're looking for a game-winning field goal, you're looking for more yardage. I know Greg Zerline has a ridiculous leg. Uh, you know, he's kicked 62-yarders, 61 yard. He's kicked a lot of long field goals. A lot of big field goals Greg Zerline's kicked. As we know, Greg Zerline sent the Rams to the Super Bowl with that kick um, in the Superdome uh, the uh, the year that the Rams beat the Saints with the horrendous missed call at the end of regulation. Um, and Zerline kicked them into uh, the Super Bowl by kicking the overtime uh, field goal. Uh, which was, um, man, I want to say that that was a 50-some yarder. I believe it was uh, that particular uh, year in overtime. I want to say that that was like a 55-yarder. I'm looking it up real quickly to see how long that Zerline game winner in New Orleans was. 57-yarder. Uh, that was an overtime 57-yard field goal that sent the Rams to the Super Bowl against the uh, Patriots, uh, beating the Saints in the Super Superdome in the NFC Championship game. Anyway, 33 seconds left uh, last uh, night. Um, tie game. Um, the Cowboys have a second and six. The clock stopped. They have a timeout. You're looking for more yardage. Uh, we understand he's got the leg, but from there, that's a 59-yarder, okay, from the 41-yard line. Um, and a 59-yarder, even if, if you've got the leg and it's indoors on great turf, the whole thing, is still, I don't know, is it better than 50-50 for a guy like Zerline? Not much higher than 50-50, is it? It's amazing the field goal probability um, in 2021 compared to, say, where it was just 20 years ago. Um, but the Cowboys ran Tony Pollard. Uh, he didn't get that much. He picked up a few yards, um, and the clock's rolling. Well, the, the, the on, you're facing uh, a third and four. I think he got two yards to, like, the 39. It was a 56-yard field goal. He got to the 38. So he picked up, like, three yards, and the clock's rolling. 
And what ended up happening is they ha- they they get to the line of scrimmage, and now all of a sudden the clock's under ten seconds, and 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 you got Dak and, and shotgun counting, you know, uh, signaling, and it looks like they're about to snap the ball with about six seconds to go and run a play. I'm like, oh my god, this clock could run out, and McCarthy stepped in and called a timeout with uh, five seconds to go. And they sent Zerline out there for a 56-yard field goal. Well, the right way to manage that is after the Pollard run, it's your last timeout. You call a timeout. Third down and three, 28 seconds left. Call a timeout right there. You've got plenty of time to run your third down play um, to spike the ball if it's a first down. And if you don't get the first down for whatever reason, plenty of time to get the field goal team out there lined up and kick the field goal. You use that last time out. Stop it at 28 seconds. That's a no-brainer. That's what you do. Now, there was some uh, you know, ex- explanation from McCarthy about they couldn't see the scoreboard or the clock or they had a sub. Dude, you knew there was 33 seconds before the snap. He, You decided to run the ball, which Romo got all over um, McCarthy for. He said, you got to throw the football here. I, I don't think you have to throw the football there. You might catch him off guard with Pollard, and he might pick up six, seven, eight yards, and now all of a sudden you know, it's a 50-yarder. But you're looking for something of less than 50 yards, don't you think? I mean, shit, you could get uh, a, a big play over the middle and, and be down at their 28-yard line. You might have something in the mid-40s or low-40s. And instead, they run one play in the final 33 seconds with still a timeout left before kicking the field goal. Terrible clock management by the Cowboys. And they sent Zerline out there to kick a 56-yarder. He made it. He made it. But if he missed that thing, if he came up short, or if he missed it, you know, just in, just outside the upright, you know, where, you know, if it had been a few yards closer, it would have been good. They would have been roasting McCarthy had they lost that game. That was horrible the way the Cowboys handled that at the end of the game. No excuse. Don't tell me about you can't see the scoreboard or it went out or you had a sub whatever. You call timeout at the end of the Pollard run, period. There's no other answer. It's before a third down. You're not going to get up quickly and run another play. or sp- You're not going to spike it. You don't have to. You call the timeout, 28 seconds left without timeouts, there's nothing that can't be accomplished there. You could run two or three more plays if they get to the out-of-bounds and stop the clock, and you pick up a first down. They won the game. They won the game with tremendous balance offensively and some big plays defensively. Two big interceptions, some big red zone stops, and the Cowboys are 1-1 one and one after a 20-17 to 17 win over the Chargers. Uh, The Eagles were the other division team to play yesterday. And the Eagles, so I went to Penn State over the weekend. I went up for the Penn State-Auburn game. I did not go to the game, but I did participate in all of the tailgating festivities. Um, Quite a long day when you start your tailgate in the morning uh, with a 7.30 at night kick. Had a great time uh, with some great uh, people and, and friends and Uh, All of us have kids at Penn State. My youngest is a senior, so we get to hang out with all of them. Uh, A fun weekend. 
Um, a long day on Saturday, but a great day uh, with a lot of stories. I decided before I went up there, unless, you know, I, I got a ticket for nothing, I would go in and maybe see the scene. I've been to two whiteout games, so I've seen it, been there, done that. It's a tremendous, tremendous electric, you know, environment. Penn State's whiteout games, I went three years ago against Ohio State, two years ago the game against Michigan, and I went uh, this weekend. I did not go to the game, though. I ended up not going into the game. Uh, I hung out in the parking lot uh, and then um, watched the game with some people at a bar, and then the night continued a little bit after that. Anyway, um, I bring it up because... Uh, by the time I got in the car and started to head back from State College yesterday, I ended up listening to all of the 1 o'clock games on XM Sirius, going back and forth between all of these different games. And there weren't really any compelling games. But the Philadelphia-San Francisco game was obviously of interest. First of all, I did bet Philadelphia, and they were a smell test pick, which did not work out. The smell test, 6-8 and eight this weekend. I think that's what it was, 6-8. and eight. Saturday was a debacle. How Indiana didn't cover. That targeting call um, up 14 nothing was terrible. Um, and Purdue had a legitimate shot. Indiana's the one that was frustrating. We got West Virginia. And then yesterday uh, was, um, what was that yesterday? Five and six, something like that. And had, you know, opportunities, whatever. Uh, it, it didn't work out. I'm two games below 500. It's a long year. By the end of the year, knock on wood, It'll be 12 years out of 16 with a winning record. Um, I, I already like uh, a bunch of games, including, by the way, I love the Washington football team, plus nine and a half at Buffalo this week. We'll have plenty of time to discuss that, but I actually think this is going to be a more competitive game than, the, uh, than many people think. They're a nine and a half point underdog. So anyway, I listened to the one o'clock games coming back from State College. And I was listening to the Philadelphia game with the great Merrill Reese uh, on the call. Um, one of the real distinct, great play-by-play voices in all of NFL uh, radio play-by-play guys of all time. He's great. And my takeaway listening to it um, is that the Eagles had a very good chance early on uh, to really put it to the 49ers. Uh, they had um, a field goal blocked. They had uh, a first and goal at the San Francisco one up three nothing and ended up not scoring, uh, going for it on fourth and goal from the three, running a razzle dazzle with Greg Ward throwing a pass uh, that, that was incomplete to Hertz. Um, they had a real chance to put it to San Francisco early. I had Mike Shanahan on the radio show this morning. You can uh, go listen to it on the Odyssey app or at the team980.com. Uh, Mike's uh, doing well, and I wanted to get his thoughts on Washington, obviously, but we ended up talking about a lot of the other games from yesterday. And um, with unsolicited, he essentially said, "I." he goes, I love Philadelphia's defense. That is a very good defense, and it is. They lost, however. It looks like they've lost Brandon Graham for the year with an Achilles injury. That would be a big, big, big loss for Philadelphia. But Philadelphia was owning the 49ers, and the 49ers have had a ton of injuries. Um, The 49ers, in their first four drives, punted. Three and out, three and out, three and out. And they did have an 11-play drive but ended up punting in Philadelphia territory on a fourth and long. Philadelphia had a chance to be up, you know, 13 to nothing. 
Um, and instead it was 3 nothing. And then the 49ers put together a long drive and took a 7-3 to lead late into the game. And then they put together another long drive up uh, down 7-3 to deep in their own territory. It started in the third quarter. And the final score uh, ended up being 17-11. to I think Philadelphia is just better than people think. I think Jalen Hurts is better than people think. Jalen Hurts rushed for 82 yards yesterday, threw for 190 against that 49er defense, which is nasty. Bosa had two sacks. Nick Bosa uh, did in the game. Uh, But the 49ers hold on, and um, the NFC West nearly became um, the first. So the NFC West has uh, the Rams – the 49ers and the Cardinals are all 2-0. and Seattle had a 14-point lead that they blew against Tennessee. They ended up losing in overtime. Had Seattle won that game, um, the NFC West would have been the first division to go 8-0 over the first two weeks since the 2002 realignment. So every NFC West team had a chance to come out of the weekend 2-0, and and Seattle just blew that big uh, lead. Um so the 49ers are 2-0, and but Philadelphia, Brandon Graham's a big loss, don't get me wrong, but Philadelphia, pretty good and underrated football team in the division uh, this year. And they get the Cowboys next Monday night. The Cowboys actually get their first home game after opening up with two on the road, and they play the Eagles um, at home next Monday night. And I have not seen that point spread. Why didn't I look for that point spread um, before? I'm going to guess that the Cowboys are probably like a three-point favorite. Um, Cowboys minus three and a half in the Monday night game against the Eagles next week. Washington at Buffalo. The Giants actually home against the 0-2 winless Falcons, who uh, I gave them out. And they certainly had a chance. They were down 28-25. And then two interception returns for touchdowns by um, what really is one of the best playmaking defenses in the NFL, the Tampa Bay uh, defense. So um, there's a little bit on Dallas, a little bit on Philadelphia. Uh, a couple of the other key games, you know, I, I mentioned that I really liked Carolina's coaching staff and I liked their team. If, if Christian McCaffrey remained healthy, I thought Darnold would be a good fit there with Joe Brady. And I thought the Panthers were going to be a surprise team. I picked them to be a playoff team, a surprise playoff team. But I also love Jameis Winston, but I did give Carolina out as a smell test pick and they rolled. And they're a team to keep an eye on, okay? I, I know a lot of you are always so convinced, and, and I do the same thing. I'm not saying I'm not part of that, you know, where we, we make a proclamation where, that we're so sure about on players that have barely played that much and are super young, especially at quarterback. Um, but Sam Darnold uh, was always somebody that I thought had a chance. I would have been fine had Washington traded a second for Sam Darnold in the offseason and said so. Um, if it had required a first, I thought it was steep, but I wouldn't have. Uh, I wouldn't have completely, um, you know, uh, knocked it off the table. Uh, I think Darnold, with the right fit and the right coordinator, and Joe Brady could be that for him in Carolina, has a chance. He was twenty-six of thirty-eight for three hundred and five yards. Christian McCaffrey, seventy-two yards rushing, sixty-five yards pass uh, and pass receptions. Um, and Carolina rolled New Orleans as Jameis threw two picks. Do you know that Jameis in two weeks only has 42 total pass attempts? Yesterday in the game, listen to this level of domination. 
The Carolina Panthers ran 73 offensive plays. New Orleans ran 43. 38 and a half minutes Carolina time of possession, 21 and a half New Orleans. Hard to really blame the quarterback, Winston. He had two interceptions, so he wasn't good, and they could not run the football against Carolina. Um, that just Carolina's got talent. I'm telling you that this is a team that's going to – they're not better than Tampa. I'm not saying they're better than Tampa. Um, they, have a, they, they have the Thursday night game at Houston, who, by the way, played Cleveland pretty tough for being the worst team in the league, being 1-0. They were right there. They had a lead in the first half at Cleveland. Um, but the Panthers are better than people think. That was an interesting game uh, yesterday, uh, early winning uh, handily, 26 uh, to seven, Mac Jones with a second solid game. They they rolled the Jets, twenty five to six. Um, the Raiders off that emotional Monday night game come east and they get it done on a long third down bomb uh, in the fourth quarter uh, from uh, Derek Carr to Henry Ruggs. It was twenty three. Um, at the time, it was sixteen to fourteen. Pittsburgh was about to get off the field. And Derek Carr hits Ruggs on a 60-yard touchdown pass to give him a nine-point lead. They end up winning 26-17. to They're 2-0 uh, in that division. Uh, and then you got to, you know, those were the early games. The, the Indy game, I, I gave out the, the, the Colts plus the number that hit. Um, the Rams um, got enough big plays from Stafford, uh, enough big plays from Cooper Cup. My God, two, another two touchdowns for him, another big uh, receiving day. Um, and then you got to that four o'clock window um, with uh, the um, with the Cowboys game, the Buccaneers game, the Titans rallying from thirty to sixteen down. My God, Derrick Henry, thirty five carries, one eighty two. There's still several different ways to skin the NFL cat. You know, not everybody just lines up and throws it fifty times and runs it twenty. Derrick Henry, thirty five carries, one hundred and eighty two yards, and three touchdowns. By the way, also had fifty five yards in receptions um, on six catches. Um, and then there was the poor Minnesota Vikings. Um, Kirk's fault, of course. It was Kirk's fault. Um, their kicker, Greg Joseph, I think his name is, missed a 37-yard field goal at the gun. He had also missed an extra point earlier. And the Vikings, who um, you know last week fumbled as they were about to kick the game-winning field goal in overtime, Cook fumbled. That was Kirk's fault. Um, and then this week uh, you had the missed field goal. Uh, I just didn't think Kirk extended the leg Um the way he should have. I mean, he's got to keep that head down and he's got to get the leg extension coming through. He pushed it to the right. So another blown Cousins late game uh, fiasco as the Vikings lose 34-33. A lot of you are like, okay, move on. No, I'm not moving on. Um, They should be 2-0. They could very easily be 2-0. He's played exceptionally well on the season so far. He was great yesterday. Last week he led a 90-some yard, or they were at their own five-yard line. He led a drive for a game-tying field goal in regulation, led him into field goal range in overtime, and and Cook fumbled. And then uh, last night, uh, needing a field goal, drove him the field, got him into short field goal range. Uh, On that drive, Justin Jefferson flat-out dropped a perfect throw that would have gotten him even closer. Uh, And the Vikings are 0-2. 
um, against a – God, man, does Kyler Murray make some plays. Oof, he can make some plays. And Rondell Moore from Purdue – um, is a star uh, in the making in the NFL. A lot of people saw that with him coming out. They got weapons, right? They got Hopkins. They got Christian Kirk. They got the big tight end um, from the University of Minnesota, Max Williams, uh, who was in Baltimore there for a while. They've got, you know, uh, A.J. Green. I don't know how old A.J. Green is now. Um, they've got Kyler Murray. They've got Chase Edmonds. They added James Conner, you know, who was with Pittsburgh those years. Um, they're 2-0 and after pummeling Tennessee last week and really getting lucky yesterday uh, to win the game. Um, but, my God, over the years, Cousins has had some just special teams disasters on the teams he's been on. Last year, Minnesota had an epically awful kicker and special teams unit. And we know how many big kicks Hopkins missed. Go back to 2016, the kick in London, they would have won that game. Um, The two kicks he missed on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys, the kick he missed in Detroit. Um, He's got bad luck when it comes to his surroundings. And, And at the same time, he's had some bad games too. Both things are true. Uh... The only other uh, game that I wanted to mention, already talked about the Chiefs and, and the Ravens and the Epic and the, the fourth and one decision, which was really, you know, the, uh, man, Collinsworth wants to make everything about analytics. I mean, Jesus Christ, the context told you you had to go for it. I mean, this, was, this would have been 10, 15 years ago, a real conversation about whether or not to go for it. I mean, they had not stopped the run the entire game. And you're never going to try to give it back to Patrick Mahomes if all you have to do is make a fourth and one. It was funny. They threw up the analytics numbers about the percentage of go for it, convert, go for it, miss. If you punt it, the odds of them winning were still 60. It was still 60-40 advantage if you punted it. No one was going to punt it in that spot. Well, the Ravens are purely analytics. It's all about the numbers. Meantime, it's all about the numbers, except Harbaugh is screaming out to his quarterback, do you want to go for it? Okay, maybe that was for show. Of course they were going to go for it in that spot. You had to go for it in that spot. There's no way with a yard to go. I don't care about the field position. You're not giving it back to Mahomes with a minute to go needing a field goal, no matter what your defense had done the last two drives. Um... I honestly think that that's one of those plays that even in 1990, you know, 1991, you know, it would have been, they may not have had all the historical data on fourth and ones to throw at you with all sorts of probability charts that don't take context into consideration. But the context of that game was a no-brainer. They had not, Kansas City can't stop the run. Now, they've played two really good run teams, but they cannot stop the run. They stink against the run. They're the I mean when you, this this is where we should get back to the quarterback conversation every once in a while. It's like you can pretty much have whatever you have everywhere else. If you have the elite of the elite at quarterback and by the way they have elite around him on offense of course with Kelsey and Tariq Hill and I I I get that. But their defense is horrendous against the run. It was like 26th last year our 21st last year, 26th the year before when they won the Super Bowl. You know, this, I think you got to be a good run stopping defense or you can never call yourself an elite defense. That doesn't mean that you can't win a Super Bowl or contend for a Super Bowl without a run defense. Here's what you pretty much can't do in today's NFL if you don't have a really good quarterback, you really don't have a chance. You can have subpar in every in a bunch of areas, but if you have the answer at quarterback 
and say 12 teams do, you got a shot. You got a shot. Um, they suck stopping the run. And they got some, you know, they got Chris Jones, they got Frank Clark, they got some players, um, but they have stunk against the run. And they played two really good run teams in Cleveland and Baltimore back-to-back. I understand that. I understand that. Um, anyway, uh, the Ravens with that big win uh, was huge. Did I miss any other games I wanted to talk about? I think that's it. Uh, tonight's game, Lions and Packers. We'll see if the Packers are in Aaron Rodgers um, you know, fatigue meltdown or whatever they're calling it up there. Uh, they're an 11.5 point favorite. I don't like the game one way or the other tonight. I will probably not play it. Uh, tonight at all. Um, Just because it's on Monday night, kids, doesn't mean you have to play it. All right, up next, uh, upon further review of the giant Washington game from Thursday night, I have a few additional observations that I wanted to uh, put out there and discuss. Uh, And then Steve Suter will join us. We'll talk some Terps with him. Uh, Right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply.
This segment brought to you by MyBookie. Whether you're a new or existing customer, if you've made a deposit with MyBookie, you'll earn an entry into the $50,000 Survivor Contest absolutely free. To play, all you've got to do is pick one winner a week to keep your streak alive and have a shot at the grand prize. If you know how Survivor pools work or Survivor contests, uh, you know, contests work, you're not using the points. You just got to pick a winner, an outright winner, and then you can't use that same winner again. But this is a free entry, free entry at my bookie into a $50,000 Survivor contest. I actually love Survivor pools. I've been a part of many of them over the years, and they are much harder than they seem. You look at an NFL board and you're like, and there's a lot of strategy involved. You're looking for just an outright winner. And like you look at the point spreads and you're like, okay, Denver is an 11 point favorite this week over the Jets. I'll take Denver. But, um, you know, the problem with that is that you can't use the same team twice typically. So you got to be kind of strategic on that. And maybe you are, you've already used Denver at this point. Then what? Um, you know, a lot of people take Kansas City early in the season. What you really want is you, you don't want to use up Kansas City uh, right away. Um, but there's a lot of different strategies uh, to uh, a survivor pool. Right now, uh, it's easy to play. Sign up at MyBookie. Use my promo code KevinDC at MyBookie.ag to receive double your first deposit and get instant access into the $50,000 Survivor Pool. Again, that's Kevin DC to instantly double your first deposit and get instant access to the $50,000 Survivor Pool. MyBookie.ag, promo code Kevin DC. Okay. Um, I want to start with an email and a tweet that I got. Uh, I got this tweet from Xavier. Xavier said about Taylor Heineke, he throws too high. That interception was his one and only, but he had two to three others that could have been intercepted. He had a team playing soft defensively and a future perennial all-pro in number 17 making plays for him, referring to Terry McLaurin. He's a temporary plug, that's it. That was from Xavier on Twitter. You can tweet me at Kevin Sheehan, D.C. And then I got an email via the podcast email um, opportunity where you can send me an email. I get to some of them uh, every once in a while, and I appreciate those of you that, you that take the time to do it. From Ben, an email to my podcast. Why can't you see it? He has it, the it factor. We haven't had anybody with the it factor, including your guy Cousins. This guy is the 2021 playmaking quarterback type, and he proved the other night that he can be a very good pocket passer. Within two months, there will be no more searching for the franchise's long-term QB. So thank you, Ben, and thank you, Xavier, for communicating. Look, I don't know if he is or isn't, and the truth is you can have a really strong gut feel, but he's played 11 and a half quarters. He has started three NFL games, and there are some things about him going back to last year that I do like, that we all like as football fans. We can make some observations. He's a baller, man. He's not afraid. He makes plays. And the other night from the pocket, the Giants dared him. Nope, we're, we're going to keep you in the pocket. We're going to play soft. Let's see if you can play pitch and catch. And he, and he did. He did a nice job. He had a near back-breaking mistake, but that's going to happen. His accuracy isn't consistent. 
Those of you that think he can be an all-time great quarterback already after 11 and a half quarters, understand that the guys that really understand this, Jay Gruden said this the other day, Mike Shanahan has talked about this many times, accuracy is one of the keys to being an elite quarterback, and it doesn't come with great practice. It usually comes naturally. Um, there's only a certain level you can get at if a guy's inaccurate now. Um, I like how decisive he is, too. I love his quick release. I think he is inaccurate. I think that's a problem. We don't know and haven't seen enough of whether or not, you know, faced with good defenses who have game plan for him, you know, how that's going to work out. But I do like him. But here's the point that I want to make. We don't really have to debate this right now anymore. We're getting the opportunity to see it play out right in front of our very eyes. Assuming he doesn't get hurt, and that could be a big assumption, he's going to play the next six weeks, you know, maybe longer. This was not guaranteed the opportunity to play early in a season with the season still in play, with games being highly competitive and highly meaningful, with expectations having um, not been ruined yet, with hopes still high. You know, it's one thing when you see a guy at the end of the year on a bad team that's already thrown in the towel. That's different from the opportunity he's getting right now. They're a one-and-one football team. They've got big games against Buffalo this coming week. They've got a chance to be in contention. All of these games matter. We're going we're gonna to find out. And you may say, uh, if you're skeptical right now, um, uh, he could play pretty well, but even seven, another six or seven games is a small sample size, which is true. But we're going to know a lot more a month and a half, two months from now, than we know now. He just started his third NFL game, and he played well. You know, I said this morning on the radio show, 11 and a half quarters in, you know, four exams. You know, he had a, 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 a pop quiz against the Panthers last year. Then they had the midterm against Tampa. Uh, and then they had another quiz uh, against the Chargers. And then the final – and then uh, another – maybe not the midterm. Maybe we had another big exam before the final uh, against the Giants. He's got an A in the class right now. He has an A in the class, period. He's been at an A level. You know, that pop quiz against Carolina, he got, you know, he got a 92. And then against Tampa, he got a 90 in that game. Um, and then last week, you know, unfortunately the defense was so bad, but he he did his part. They had a, He had a 95 on that little quiz. And then on, on Thursday night, he ended up getting a 91. He got an A-. minus. He's got an A in the class. Now, there's, a, there's still a lot to go. This is just the first semester. It's not even the first semester. It's the first quarter. I shouldn't have given midterms and finals in there. He is doing fine, but we're going to get to see it. We don't need to decide now. That's my point. We, we can all watch. He's not getting pulled. Hopefully, he doesn't get injured. We're going to get a chance to see him against a Buffalo team in a hostile environment on Sunday. We're going to get to see him against an Atlanta team that's not very good defensively but can score, and he may, not, may, may have to keep up the pace with them. Then he gets a good defensive team in New Orleans at home. Then he's got to face off against the Chiefs uh, here. Then he goes to Lambeau and then to Denver. That may be the best defensive team he'll face in Denver on, on Halloween. And then if he's still around, he'll get maybe the best defensive team in Tampa after the bye week. 
depending on Fitzpatrick's availability then and depending on how Taylor Heineke, Heineke has played. We've got time here. We don't have to have our absolute final answer. Some of you are going to. I don't have my final answer. I don't have my final, okay, let's sign him to a long-term deal. He's our guy. I'm nowhere near that. And if you're already there, you're taking a big leap, and it's based on a gut feel you have, and we've all done that before. And you might be right. There's something about him. Definitely there's something there. He's got something to him. But it would be a major outlier at 28 years old if it ends up being that Taylor Heineke is a franchise quarterback. So a couple of observations upon further review from the game the other day. Um, Jamin Davis made some plays in this game. I had mentioned the play on Sterling Shepard on that third down in the red zone. Very athletic play, super tackle. He had another big-time hit right in the uh, on Booker at the line of scrimmage. He was playing much faster, it appeared to me, um, and I thought more instinctually. Now, I think it's going to be an up-and-down process with him, especially playing in this defensive scheme where there is a lot of responsibility um, and a lot of playing within the scheme, not just turning somebody loose. That's not what Del Rio and Rivera do. But I thought Jamin Davis had a pretty, uh, you know, a, a, made a significant jump in um, in the way he played uh, the other night on the number of snaps he played, which I think were like 30-something percent of the snaps. I'm looking it up. Uh, I had that open, the snap count. I want to say he played on like uh, thir- roughly 30% of the NFL snaps in that game. Um, uh, 39% of the snaps. So he pay, played a, you know, 39% of the snaps, 27 of the 69 snaps. I thought that, that he flashed. That was one thing that I, I don't think I spent enough time, uh, Friday on number two. Um, when you watched, uh, the game again, the, the thing that I picked up on is something that we saw last year. Uh, we saw it a little bit actually in the preseason. A lot of five-man defensive fronts, especially with Matt Ioannidis now. You know, you've got three really good inside players in Payne, Allen, and Ioannidis, and they were out there a bunch. By the way, Allen was a monster in the game, and Payne flashed many times as well. It was hard after the Charger game to really single anybody out defensively. I did single out Allen and Curl um, in that game, Uh, but Allen was at times unblockable. Uh, in the game the other night. He is really, really playing at a high level right now. It's too bad that the rest of the defense isn't playing at that level. There are a couple of players that are playing well, um, but the defense as a whole isn't getting the results you would like. But Allen was outstanding. I mentioned that. I thought Payne was too, and it was apparent that you know they, they're trying to get their best players on the field, which means – that when you have five defensive linemen, you're only going to have one or two backers out there. And at times it was only one, and it was Bostic. Um, so uh, I also wanted to mention that, yes, if Chase Young's going to be a superstar player in this league, um, no matter how teams game plan for him, and they're game planning for him, and they're chipping him, and they're doubling him, and the whole thing. And by the way, that's making it easier for a guy like Allen, or Payne, or Ioannidis, or maybe even Sweat. Okay? All of that is understood. Um, I still am a believer that, you know, the best players, you know, if you're truly elite, 
um, you know, you're going to be game planned for and you're going to get sacks anyway. You know, right now through two weeks, you know, Von Miller's got three sacks. You don't think they're game planning for him? T.J. Watt's got three sacks. Nick Bosa's got three sacks. Chandler Jones has five. Daniil Hunter, who I think is one of the most underrated pass rushers, has four in the league so far. Um, Chase Young doesn't have any. John Allen's got three. John Allen's two off the lead right now. So I, I want him to produce. And sacks, you can say, aren't nearly as important or whatever. Bullshit. Give me some sacks. You know, be Von Miller, be TJ Watt, be Nick Bosa, be Joey Bosa. Be a major disruptor. And he is. And one of the reasons I bring him up um, is that there were moments the other night where he was a monster too. Like Chase Young had a couple of great, you know, down the line, huge hits on running backs. He got pressure a couple of times on Daniel Jones. Um, And it's not, it's like last year when he didn't have the numbers early. I think he was making more plays and I think it was more evident how difficult he was to block. I think there have been times where they've run at him and there were the other night. Um, Here's the thing with Chase Young right now. I mentioned this the other day. He's going to have to be super disciplined in the scheme that Ron Rivera and Ron and uh, Jack Del Rio are asking him to play. Ron Rivera has implied that there are a couple of players who aren't disciplined enough. He's referred to it as a maturity issue, whatever. The point being, you got to play within the scheme. You can't play outside of the scheme. Chase Young's playing outside of the scheme on occasion. I don't know how often, but I do know, I do know that on occasion he's not doing exactly what they tell him to do. Now, some of us would say, well, you know, it'll turn out to be a Bill Parcell situation where LT comes off the field and he's like, what are you doing? And LT said, well, I'm sacking the quarterback. Yeah, but that wasn't your responsibility on the play. And sometimes with great players, they have to have uh, some leeway there. But right now, Chase Young isn't producing a sack and a half a game. And he hasn't had a forced fumble yet. And he hasn't totally disrupted the game yet from a defensive standpoint. I think he's had moments. And, man, you see, you know, when he is fresh, that quick twitch and that first step and some of the moves he's got, even when he's being doubled, he is he's difficult to deal with. But I pointed out the play with Kendall Fuller the other day on the slot corner blitz. That was not what he was supposed to do. He's not supposed to kick the left tackle out in to the path that Kendall Fuller was blitzing from. He almost tripped Fuller. Now, it turned out well. Fuller got there, got home, got the sack. But um, keep that in mind moving forward. I think he's not the only one, but there are a few players that just have to be a little bit more disciplined for the coaching staff. Now, your, your criticism might be of the coaching staff for that. To hell with your scheme. Let them loose. Let them play. Tell them to go get the quarterback. Tell them to go get the ball. Well, that's not the way that they coach. It isn't. Kendall Fuller, by the way, has been horrible in these first two games. That's the other thing that sticks out. He tackled Sterling Shepard in that third and 13. They are – look, that first game against Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen and Mike Williams and some – there were some good throws, good catches, good back shoulder catches. And Fuller, you know, was the uh, – on the wrong end of a few of those where the coverage was okay. Fuller has struggled here for the first two games. 
Um, Bostic just needs to um, also, I mean, I think Bostic can really run. I think he's an underrated speed linebacker. But with that said, he seems lost. And their coverage is still too soft behind what should be even a four-man rush. And if Del Rio wants to generate even more, like he did last year, that's fine too. But their four-man rush isn't being stonewalled. Look, they didn't get there enough. There were some big plays and where they didn't get close enough to either one of the two quarterbacks they faced. But they're not getting handled at this point. That's the other thing you notice. Chase Young and Montez Sweat and John Allen and Matt Ioannidis and Deron Payne, they're pretty good. They're a load to handle up front. But behind them right now, come on, man. Stop playing so soft. You can't give up the easy pitch and catches. How are some of these people getting so wide open? Well, there's miscommunications. There's bad leverage. um, There's bad recognition of down and distance in game situation. Uh, They got to get that part fixed. Um, They really do. Um, What was the other thing I had on... uh... I still think, and I did not hear um, because I, I was away over the weekend. I don't know if it was addressed or not. They've. I, I'm not. I'm not a guy that wants balance for the sake of balance. I don't think you have to have balance to win. But I thought against the Giants the other night, Gibson should have touched the ball a lot more. Period. You know, 46 throws, 22 runs. Gibson with 13 rushes isn't enough. Not when he's averaging 5.3 yards per carry. It just isn't. Oh, lastly, here was my last um, observation. So a lot of you, um, this is just a pet peeve. So what Daniel Jones was burning them with the other day, primarily when he ran the ball, when he ran the ball, that is a read option, not an RPO. An RPO stands for run-pass option. That is when the quarterback takes the snap, sticks it in the gut of the running back, and either leaves it there or makes a quick throw. All right, so he is typically eyeing a safety or a linebacker or a corner, somebody in coverage. If it's soft, he's going to pull it back out of the running back's gut, and he's going to fire a quick pass. Linemen are blocking run, and they have one yard before they're ineligible, so it's a quick thing for the quarterback. It's stick it in, read it, boom, get it out, throw it. In college, you've got three yards before you're ineligible downfield. But the linemen are blocking run. You can tell an RPO by the way the linemen are blocking. All right, if they're blocking run and the quarterback throws it, that was a read pass option in RPO. When Daniel Jones runs it on those option plays, that's a read option. Some people call it a zone read. But it's a, he's reading the D end or the outside backer. If that guy crashes down, he keeps it and he runs it. If he doesn't and he's playing the quarterback, he leaves it in the gut of the runner. Saquon Barkley, Devontae Booker. Pet peeve because I'm listening to games, and at the NFL level in particular, a lot of the analysts that cover the NFL, because they don't watch a lot of college football, will – you know, look at Daniel Jones or they'll look at, you know, Lamar Jackson or and they'll see them keep it off that mesh handoff and they'll say that's, you know, they're they're look at that, look at that RPO run. That's not an RPO run. That's a it's a read option run. The RPO is a run pass option. Either the running back's going to run it and keep it, or the quarterback's gonna throw it. That's an RPO. And you'll notice RPOs because the line will be blocking run. 
and the quarterback is reading someone in coverage, typically somebody who's off a receiver, and that receiver is going to run a quick, you know, in, and they're going to pull it out of the gut of the running back and throw the football. That's an RPO. That's what we've seen in college now for a long period of time. Easier in college because they can actually you know, make that throw with a little bit more patience because the linemen have three yards before they're ineligible. NFL one yard. Uh, saw a lot of that over the weekend in the NFL. A lot of guys that you know are on games, calling games, referring to read option plays as RPOs. If the quarterback runs the ball, um, you know, uh, off of that mesh handoff, uh, that is a read option. Now, it could be an RPO, and he made the wrong decision, and then he's scrambling, and he's trying to make up for something. But, um, no, they're they're two different things, and uh, just explaining it, I'm sure most of you know what it was and what it means anyway. I like Washington Sunday, early gut feel. I like them to be very competitive against Buffalo. Buffalo got a 35 to nothing win over Miami. It was a little bit misleading. I'm not saying Miami had a chance. Uh, Tua got hurt. Uh, Jacoby Brissett came in and played in the game. That was a 14 to nothing game through much of it, and then it just got away from the Dolphins. Um, uh, you know, with Brissett in there, they, they couldn't move the football, they couldn't score points. But Buffalo has not been in their first two games super efficient offensively. You know, Josh Allen in two games right now, uh, 56% completion percentage, three touchdowns and interception. He's taken a bunch of sacks. They lost to the Steelers in that opener. He was 17-33 against a very physical Miami defense. Miami's pretty good on defense. I know the final score said 35 nothing. But it was misleading that final score. Not that Buffalo was was ever pushed, but it was it was fourteen nothing, really at halftime. Um, and I think that you know the fourteen nothing were on a couple of short field drives. Uh, so I don't think Buffalo's in sync right now. They've played two very good defensive teams in Miami, uh, in Pittsburgh and Miami. They're going to play a third team that's talented defensively. And I think Washington gets them in a decent spot. Washington with the rest off the Thursday night game. Buffalo coming back off of a physical game against Miami, believe it or not. 35-0. How can 35-0 Sheehan be misleading? It's a little bit misleading. They weren't dominant offensively at all. Um, And Miami had... Uh, Miami ended up in the game with three turnovers in the game, and so um, it, it made it a little bit easier for the for the score to get away from them. And Miami had no offense with with Brissett in there against Buffalo. I would not be surprised if Washington goes into Orchard Park on Sunday and has a chance to win this game. Uh, we'll see. It's look. It's it's Taylor Heineke's first. Taylor Heineke's first road game of his Washington career. Now, the other time, he, the, the, the start that he had with Carolina was a home game for Carolina. So he's never actually started an NFL game on the road. This will be his first one, and that's a hell of an environment to play in. That is a raucous, raucous home Western New York, Buffalo Bill.
crowd he will be uh, faced with. Nine and a half is a lot of points, um, but I like Washington's chances to keep this close. Who knows? I might change my mind by the end of the week. Steve Suter will join me next. We'll talk some Terps football. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And from 32 yards. To win the game. It is. All right, let's talk some college football, Maryland uh, specifically. They had a win Friday night in Champaign-Urbana over Illinois, uh, 20-17, to a thrilling game at the end. On the call of that game were Johnny Holiday, of course, and uh, his new game analyst, Steve Suter, the all-time leading punt returner in Maryland and in ACC history. Steve joined us a few weeks ago on the show and you know it was before the West Virginia game and you said this game's crucial if they can get this win it may be the difference between bowl eligibility at the end of the year with six wins and not going to bowl um, now that they've gotten the first three including a win on the road against Illinois and they're a 14 and a half point favorite against Kent State um, looming uh, a week uh, you know less than two weeks away is perhaps a monster matchup against Iowa I don't want to overlook Kent State they're capable they're out of the MAC. Um, they can score. Um, Texas A&M blew them out. Iowa blew them out. Um, but you know they're they're capable offensively. But through three games, Steve, what's your opinion of this Maryland team? I think it's right on par with where I was at. I think it's a bowl team for sure, and I think they're sneaky good if they can eliminate the mental errors that they've shot themselves in the foot on offense, which seems to happen on occasion. They could do some damage. Uh, you mentioned the Kent State game getting blown out by, but that was a game going into the fourth quarter. And so I take two things away from that. I think Kent State is a little better than people think, and I think Iowa is more beatable than people think. So that, you know, don't overlook Kent State, but that 4 0 Iowa game, I think, is winnable. Let's go back to Friday night um, because it was a game that was a little bit wild. First of all, you, you don't see many college football games this day and age, 3 3. Um, at the half, and for the first time, Maryland seemed to struggle a little bit at times to move the football. They weren't fluid. They weren't cohesive. Leah seemed to be under duress. Uh, and then here comes the second half, you know, 75-yard drive, touchdown. Three and out, they're up 10-3, and now they look like they did against West Virginia, and Howard obviously doesn't count, but just unstoppable offensively. And, man, the uh, the, the fumble by um, – 
by Fleet Davis as they were going in was a real turning point in the game. I don't know how you felt calling it. I thought at that moment, especially given that Illinois had been blown out the previous two weeks, I thought it was going to be a big ass whooping in the second half, and that turnover uh, turned everything around. I totally agree. And it was frustrating to watch because it was, I was watching it and seeing a team that we were better than. I could tell that lining up across from Illinois, we were the better team. And just for whatever reason, they just kept shooting themselves in the foot offensively. Now, defensively, they hung in there and played well pretty much the whole game. They gave up a couple too many big plays, uh, which they like to keep track of. But they pretty much played a good game. Offensively, though, if we get back to that, just frustrating to watch. I thought they were about to take over the game in the second half, like you mentioned, the fumble, and then another fumble the following possession. And again, just couldn't get out of their own way. When they did, it was five plays and a touchdown. So they need to figure out how to clean that up because it wasn't as if they were getting dominated physically. They weren't losing one-on-one matchups. They were making mental errors themselves and stopping their own drive. So you got to clean that up because you can't do that against an Iowa. You can't do that moving forward into the Big Ten play. You know, there was a flashback, and this is a completely different team, so I don't think it's anywhere near an apples-to-apples comparison, but... You know, when they when they uh, crushed Syracuse, who was a ranked team two years ago, and then they went to Temple, they actually lost that game 20-17, to and it was excruciatingly uh, difficult to watch because they had a bunch of turnovers and mistakes in the red zone, and it was a winnable game. And I felt the same way you did. I'm watching this, and first of all, their quarterback's not very good. They had their starter back, but I didn't think he was very good, and I thought there was a chance to really open it up. And then before you know it, they're down 17-10, and then comes the portion of the game where, you know, they put it on, you know, essentially, let's be honest, they put it on the quarterback. Leah had to make plays. It was an 84-yard. They had 84 yards to go in, in five minutes to tie it. Um, and he came through, and that drive was incredible. Talk about sort of the maturity with him and him delivering in the clutch. He's played great all season, and even though we weren't moving the ball in the first half, it, I don't want to say it was on Leah. I'm watching the game. He's not making any of the bad decisions. Uh, it was a guy didn't run the right route or an offensive lineman missed the pass protection or got beat on a one-on-one. So from Leah's perspective, he is playing really good football, and the biggest maturity change from last year is he's not taking those risks. He's not making the 50, 50 decision. I'll just chuck it up here. Yeah, it's tight coverage, but I got, I got to trust my arm. He hasn't made those plays. So he hasn't turned the ball over. And because of that, there are chances to score every time they have the ball. And like you said, resiliency was the word that I kept thinking. And, Coach Loxley mentioned after the game that they just stayed resilient, and when they needed to make that drive happen, he made it happen. And credit to the receivers that were where they needed to be, and he puts the ball in the money, and, and bang, 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 touchdown. And that's what they could do. So it's frustrating when they shoot themselves in the foot. Yeah, I mean, he was on the money down the stretch. I think he, I think he went seven of eight with the game on the line. They they ran the ball a couple times with Fleet Davis. You know, uh, just real, I'm curious, Fleet Davis and and Boone and Jacobs are the backs that they're using. They're all a little bit different. Um, you know, they've had explosive backs here. You know, in recent years. 
Do you think the caliber of their running backs is where it's been? I think it's a little. I think they're all a little bit underrated. What do you think? So, I'm growing more and more fond of Sleep Davis. He's just won me over, and Isaiah Jacobs has won me over. They run both of them run the ball so hard. The first guy doesn't bring him down almost never, and Fleet Davis to me is. He's like, you know, let's use a video game analogy. If you had a back and you rated his stats, he's, he's like B's and B pluses all the way. He doesn't have an A anywhere, but he doesn't have any C's anywhere either. He's, he's smart. He can catch the ball in the backfield. He runs hard. He doesn't have blazing speed, but he runs with power. He's just an all-around running back. And I think that's how the rest of the backs are as well. Isaiah Jacobs, I would say the same. Penny Boone's a little different, uh, just a different type of body. But I really like I, – I, you know, I was worried about the position coming into the season, but they've won me over over these first three games. Yeah, I don't know if there is a Javon Leak or McFarland or a Ty Johnson where from anywhere on the field it can be over in a matter of a, of a couple of seconds. Um, right. <clears throat> but I love the vision that they all have, including Jacobs, who I think is a tough – Inside the tackles, good vision runner. Yeah, he runs hard. He he. The first guy does not bring him down at all. He's a tough kid. If any of them was going to take it to the house, it might be Hemby. He's the freshman, but I don't know how much they're going to play them after week four. It'd be interesting to see. To after that, then you you can you would redshirt if you played four games. Um, so they have a couple games left them that they can play him and Colby McDonald. I think you're just going to see Fleet Davis, Jacobs, and Penny Boone from here on out, and those guys all run hard. So it's a it's a different thing than we're used to seeing at Maryland. Like you said, they they're not home run hitters, but they're eight yards and punching the mouth kind of guys. So I appreciate that style of play too. For those that missed it, after Maryland tied it up on a bang bang, you know, drive, Illinois got the ball back. They had a chance to go down the field, kick a, a field goal, and Greg Rose uh, ended up with two massive sacks. Illinois ended up punting from their own end zone. Maryland got phenomenal field position. Couple of uh, uh, throws from t- uh, from from Leah, and it was a game uh, uh, winning field goal. I actually, to be honest with you, and I'm and next time I talk to, to Locks, I think they should have kicked that on third down. They had another timeout. Uh, he let that clock go down to the walk-off. You never know on a bad snap in that spot. You can fall on it, call timeout, and kick it again. But um, the kick was good. So defensively, there were a couple of people that stood out and have stood out. And I'm really talking about the West Virginia and Illinois games in particular. Um, the kid you told me about, Hippolyte, um, n- uh, number 11, really stands out week in and week out. Um, so I, I want you to, to talk about him, but number 30 the other night, even before Rose did his damage, number 30 is one of those guys that just looked quick twitch and almost impossible to block. I don't even know how to say his name. It's a silent end. So it's Darrell Chami. And yes, he's, he is one of the speed rushers. He burst onto this, well, I don't say burst on the scene, but the last game last year against Rutgers, he had two sacks and he had been banged up before that so he's a guy that can do that rush the passer and he's flashed this season as well uh getting in there and making plays that whole d line kevin watching this game i'm just stunned of how many d linemen we play 
we probably have a rotation of nine or ten guys. I mean, in the third quarter one time to start a series, I look out and I said, there's three true freshmen on the D-line yeah. right now. And it was Darrell Jackson, Tajay Johnson, and Johnson. Damian Robinson. Yeah. And I'm thinking, the confidence that you have in these kids, it's third quarter, we're losing, and you've got three freshmen D-linemen to start a series is just actually a testament to the recruiting they've put in on the defensive side of the ball and and, and defensive line specifically that if you can rotate nine guys you're and you you mentioned Tyler Baylor the last time we talked he's getting some burn too Greg Rose the Tez Rogers Ami Finau Sam Okawano I mean there's 10 guys that they're rotating so they're staying fresh which I think is helping them and it shows a lot for moving forward in the years to come that the D-line is going to be which usually is not very powerful for Maryland could be a strong strong point for this team we're talking to Steve Suter. <clears throat> he calls the games with Johnny um, on uh, on the Maryland Football Radio Network. Uh, they have Kent State this Saturday, 3.30 kick, right? I'm pretty sure it's a 3.30 kick. Yep. Um, and they're about a 14, 14 and a half point favorite. If they get that one, that'll set up, quite honestly, we're going to get to this, one of the biggest home games Maryland football's had since the Ralph era, for sure. Um, on Friday night, October 1st, against what would be um, a top five or maybe even higher team in Iowa coming in here. So I, I asked Locks last week because I had him on the radio show, and I just said, give me where this team is talent-wise, you know, in the East, you know, compared to – I mean, I, I, I this year's weird so far because I, I had said maybe you and I had this conversation too – I thought Ohio State was starting to put distance between them and the rest of the Big Ten in the same way that Clemson's done it in recent years, and yet Ohio State's terrible on defense here early in the year. They've lost a game already. Penn State looks super fast defensively. Michigan State's improved. Where do you put Maryland's overall talent right now, like in, in, in that division? How far off are they? I don't think they're that far. I really don't. I think they have athletes on all the key positions that were that can play with those of the schools that you mentioned. It's uh, more of a um, consistency standpoint and mental preparation because I think physically they can hang with all those those schools. I, I want to before Deontay Banks just got hurt. He got hurt in the Howard game, and right. I think he's going to miss significant time, maybe the whole year. He was their number one corner. I, w- I would say they had the best secondary in the conference. I mean, Nick Cross is going to the league, and Ja'Korian Bennett is locked down corner right now. Tarheed still. Yeah, what about Still? He can run. Well, he, he, he can run. He makes plays, and they get him in the mix. But he was he was the nickel guy. Deontay Banks and Ja'Korian Bennett were the starting one right. and two corner. And then when you go nickel, Tarheed Still comes in. And if he's your nickel, and you got Nick Cross in the back at free safety, I mean, you've got the best secondary in the conference, I think. So they got talent. Now Deontay Banks get hurt, and messes things up a little bit, but Tarheeb then moves over the corner, and now you still got him running one, which Corian Bennett running two. And man, they they got talent. I'm I'm not as bleak as I would have been. In you know the past couple of years, looking at looking at the roster for town wise, the recruiting has is evident right now. I can see what he's done, and it's it's coming to fruition. So everything about Loxie and his great recruiting and give him some time, blah blah blah. Well, he did it. The talent's here. Now they just need to 
put the other pieces with coaching and execution together, and they, they're going to give anybody a problem, I think. Is it, there, not gonna, is it there on on the offensive line? Uh, it has. That's, that's hard to determine because we have, you know, Illinois and West Virginia. Now, West Virginia had Dante uh, Stills. He was talented D lineman, and I don't think Johnny called his name one time the whole game. So credit their line for that. The Eric Harris transfer has seemed to pay off. He solidified that center position, and they've played better. They were probably the biggest question mark going into the season, and so far I can't say they've been an Achilles heel. They've done well. They've kept Talia upright for the most part, and they've been able to run the ball. So that the jury's still out on them. Iowa will be a big test. Yeah, Iowa will be. Um, all right, so I want to come back to Leah here uh, before we talk about what's upcoming. Um, he's not making the big mistake. He's not forcing the ball. He's not tr- trying to do too much. That's so far, you know, in, in the first three games. Um, he's, he's clearly a playmaker. I- I'm just curious what you see, like, his upside. Because uh, all my friends were all talking about, you know, the comparisons to Russell Wilson. Poor man's Russell Wilson. You know, he's a playmaker. The guy's got poise. He's been clutch. Um, does Maryland have a legitimate quarterback for the first time in, in a long time, really? He is legit, 100%. I watched the guy not make mistakes, and every ball he's thrown this year has been catchable, and I haven't said one time, ooh, like that was a bad ball. That has not come <laughs> out of my mouth. And he's like 75% completion. He's almost at 1,000 yards passing. He is legit. His only... The only thing I would say, maybe he's not dialed in yet on his when should I try to scramble out of the pocket or when should I just throw this away because he is athletic and he knows he is. So he's going to lend towards, I could probably hold the ball, hold the ball, and then I'll probably be able to scramble out of this pocket if I had to. That's probably the only, and that's instinctual. It's going to be hard to determine whether or not he, you know, that's a tricky play. Do I throw this ball away or can I make a play out of this? when my team needs it. So that's a lot of quarterbacks that have an arm and have a le- have leg to run into that same problem of when to do that, when to do which. But other than that, it's he's legit. So, yes, I'm very happy with how he's playing, and I the future is bright. I now like don't want him to throw for 3,500 yards and leave. <laughs> okay, let's let's <laughs> let's contain ourselves here for a moment. Um <laughs> For those that aren't paying attention, Leah is to his brother. Um, Leah, right now, it's three games, and one of them was an absolute, you know, pounding of Howard, but he didn't play, you know, the second half pretty much. Um, he is right now uh, is second in the Big Ten in, pa- in passing yards per game. He is number one in the Big Ten in completion percentage at 75.5%. He's thrown seven touchdowns, no interceptions. He's a highly efficient quarterback. His issues last year were, you know, some turnovers and some bad decisions. I don't think he's made any this year. I mean, he hasn't thrown a pick in – Correct me if I'm wrong. There, there really hadn't been a ball, many balls that were even close. 
Um, the one thing that I would say through these first three games, and you sort of alluded to it, I'd like to see him be more decisive as a runner. I think there are times when last year we saw him make big plays with his legs. I mean, against Minnesota um, and against Penn State. And, and I'd like to – it almost seems like he is – he told me, I remember having him on the air, that Russell Wilson is who he modeled his game after, and he wants to make that play down the field with his arm rather than with his legs. He would prefer that, but I think there have been some opportunities for him to run for bigger yardage. What do you think? I would agree. I don't think they've the coaching staff's given him a whole lot of opportunities for called runs. If you, I mean, when you say you want him to be more decisive, as, I, I would as as I as would a as that. an off schedule. You know, passer, okay. I think there have been some opportunities where he could tuck it and get seven or eight and get out of bounds much easier. Yeah, and they, and they probably are there, and that goes to what I was saying a little earlier about how he's just – that would be the only thing I could I could nitpick right. him on. Do, do you want to get out of the pocket sooner? Should you have? Or could you have stayed in and maybe made the throw? He's taken a sack or two that he probably should have thrown away, and if he was more decisive, just said, you know what, I can run. Let me just run this. Um, Maybe we could have got a seven, eight yard gain for sure. But, and I know you didn't mean it this way intentionally, but I think they could call more runs for him. They've only ran probably a handful of read options where he's had this chance to pull it in and make a play himself. And they like pick their spots when they call those plays. So I could see them dialing a little bit more of those called runs in there where he gets a chance to be more decisive without having to think about it himself. Yeah, I think he had that huge third down, you know, called run, and I forget if it was a read option or not against West Virginia to sort of uh, ice it, and that's right. I mean, Mm -hmm. you really haven't seen a lot of that. All right, so let's talk about – you said Kent State took Iowa. I'm looking at it right now. It was 23-7 going into the fourth quarter, but, you know, Iowa didn't pound them. Um, Kent State's played a schedule, man, here. They opened with A&M, and they had Iowa – um, and now they've got their last non-con game before they get into the MAC uh, games in, in conference uh, at Maryland. Um, I don't know what you know about them, if any, if you've already done your, your homework on them, but uh, the line would tell me that Vegas doesn't think this is going to be 62 nothing um, like it was against Howard or even 42 to, to, to 17. Uh, it's, it's a little bit tighter um, than you typically see. Um, what do, you, what do you, th- you think this is a bit of a trap? Uh, definitely has a trap steal. I was, so of my research, I watched the Kent State Iowa game on Saturday, and my initial impressions were they do a lot of off-killed stuff on special teams. My old special team coach Ray Valeski would call it jicky jack, and they they do a lot of running and crossing lanes, and their punt formations are going to look really weird. They're trying to create matchups and things of that nature. I don't think they have a great punter, and that could be why they're doing that. So you can see some areas that they try to make up with of their deficiencies with some trickery kind of stuff. But they had athletes on defense that hung with Iowa. Iowa really just won that game up front with their offensive line. They didn't do anything special in the passing game, and I don't think they really have the ability to. And Kent State was running with their guys. And on offense, they had some receivers that made plays when they had one-on-one matchups, so they got athletes there too. So 14.5 points is probably... I mean, they're Vegas, right? They make good numbers. I would say that is probably a good number. The over-under at 69.5 is pretty high, so that tells me they think Kent State's going to score. I would venture to say they – I don't see them scoring too much on us, 
So that 69 points might be heavily led by Maryland. But, yes, trap game for sure because, I mean, I'm doing it too. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't looking at Iowa. And the kids are probably going to be doing the same. Right, Friday night, can't wait to be 4-0 and play a top-five opponent in my house. So they got to be better than me and better than the rest of the fan base who are looking <laughs> at Iowa and yeah. focused on Kent State. Well, I mean, it's it's only natural. And the thing about a team like Kent State, when you played, you know, a top five team, you know, essentially two top five caliber teams, you know, you you now there's no fear. I mean, they've already played A and M in Iowa. They're not going to be awed, you know, in awe of playing a Big Ten team, you know, on the road. Um, they played in bigger houses with a lot more people than will be there on Saturday. And the only thing you can hope is somehow they're just sort of worn down by the last, you know, two out of the last three weeks, and you catch them um, a little bit, uh, a little bit tired. Before we get to the last thing, which is potentially the biggest game in years, um, I think there's one thing that they've got to get corrected. And it's been an issue for the two and a, two years and now three games. Wasn't as big of an issue against West Virginia. I think Maryland just is too penalized um, as a team, and there's a lot of what I would think are just, you know, sort of lack of attention, you know, false starts, a, a lot of, you know, there was an ineligible downfield, I think, the other day. Um, I know that's an emphasis for Loxley. Uh, what do you make of, of them? I mean, they were one of the lead. I think they were the uh, led the Big Ten in penalties last year. Um, how important is that? It's very important. And the, the problem with these penalties that they've been having this year, they've been on just critical downs and most of them most of the bad ones have been on defense and on third down and you mentioned West Virginia you didn't think they had one but they did they had all sides on a third down in the red zone that took uh gave them a first down and then they scored the next play so they were going to kick a field goal that was a four-point swing on that penalty they did it again in Howard and they did it again in Illinois they had they had critical penalties on defense. They've just been given extra possessions when they shouldn't have to, and they have to correct it. And they're boneheaded penalties for the most part. And I don't know how you cor- – I just don't understand how do you correct it or how do you go about correcting it because it's just nonsense stuff that, that kids should know. And I shouldn't have to tell you, like Levante Gator, I shouldn't have to tell you you can't dive like Superman and headbutt the quarterback yeah. and think that, that that's not a penalty. I mean, do I have to tell you you can't do that? You know you can't do that. So those things are frustrating for the coach, I'm sure, because I wouldn't know how to coach it. How do you kind of? I can't tell my six year old to stop, you know, <laughs> on the iPad and yelling at her sister yeah. thirty times a day. So those things are just frustrating. Just happen, but they have to nip them into play because come Iowa, you're going to be in a tight game. We're not going to blow them out, and they're hopefully not going to blow us out. So every possession is going to be critical. And you don't want to have a third down penalty that a either gives them a first down and they continue a possession, or b takes away a possession from us, like a touchdown or a big play on our side that gets called back for a holding. So it has to get corrected if you want to be a good team. And Loxy says that good teams don't beat themselves, then you have to correct those. All right. Um, if they can take care of business Saturday, and I'm not counting it yet, I'm not going to do that and jinx it. 
But if they can beat Kent State, um, it would set up a Friday night, October 1st game, which would be off the charts for this program. It's been a while since there's been. I know that Penn State game was a great tailgate, but that was they actually had lost the game coming into Temple and weren't ranked anymore. I don't know if they'll be ranked next week after being Kent State. They're like 30th in the AP in terms of votes. Iowa's going to be a top five team coming in here. Um, I, I don't. Have they played a number one team at home since being in the Big Ten? I don't think they have. I think Ohio State was two one year. I yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to recall that. Yeah, but um, that probably had to be the highest. But th- this has a chance to be one of the biggest games since you played. Seriously. Yes. It, yeah, it could be crazy. It would be a shame that we wouldn't be ranked. That would help it out a little bit. But a Friday night, it'll be a blackout, right? Because they'll want to. They'll want to wash out the Iowa fans' colors, so we'll be in the blackout. And Tennessee's going to be crazy. And, uh, if you're listening to this and you come to the game, I would play on the, the parking is going to be yeah, just absolutely terrible because you can't kick the students. They're not going to cancel school from what I hear. So the kids that have parking permits for class are still going to be in the lots. You can't kick them out, so they can't. you're just not going to be able to park anywhere. So that is going to be a Debbie Downer on it, but back to the football piece. Oh man, it could be really epic, and I think they're a beatable team. I do watching them play. I wasn't wowed. It, their strength is up front, running the ball, and they're going to get themselves in third and short, and they're going to be able to pass protect for a little eight to twelve yard pass because you can't get past their offensive line. So nothing flashy. You know what they're going to do. And can you stop their run and make them be a third and long team? If you do, and you got a real good shot. Yeah, um, the the university announced that the parking lots for that game. Look, look, look at you know we're jinxing this right now. They they have another game <laughs> on Saturday, <laughs> and <laughs> and I can talk to you about the <laughs> Iowa game next week. But I'm getting excited for it. I'd I'd love to see a big. Um, matchup like that it would be the first for them uh being in the big 10 um be a meaningful game it it could really it I I think they're a good team you you mentioned it those of you that are thinking okay they beat you know West Virginia they beat Howard they beat Illinois they're not very good uh once they get the big boys it's going to be 42 to 10 or 56 to 7 when they play Ohio State they their talent level has increased Loxley said Essentially, he said, I think we're in the top 25% now with the players we have talent-wise, you know, in the league. And that's saying something from where they were, you know, when they entered this league. So, uh, could be fun. Uh, we'll see. Let's get let's get the uh, golden flashes. Is that what they are? I think they're the golden flashes. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah got to get them. Let's beat them first. Uh, thanks for doing this again. I really appreciate it. We'll talk soon. All right. Take care, guys. All right, thanks to Steve Souter. Back tomorrow with Tommy.